Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 612 with a review of 7500. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. This week, the streaming platform these are coming to is Amazon Prime. Um, so, hooray, you don't have to spend $20 to rent this one. <laughs> you can watch it for free. So you just have to sell a little bit of your soul to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> but I mean, we all do it, right? So, so sure. uh, at least okay. you can hey, get a I've little... only ordered something on Amazon like four times this week. <laughs> I, I have started to actually what's funny is if we did have to pay for this on Amazon, I finally started doing the Amazon day delivery thing where like they hold all your packages that you deliver till Friday and just deliver them all at once. Mm. And like every time you do that, they give you like a buck 50 in digital credit towards something. Um, so I probably have That's like a nice. million dollars now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can... yeah. A whole million. <laughs> I, I We ordered uh, toilet paper on Amazon because the like stores have been out locally, at least when we checked. Yeah. Um, and they sent us, they've been doing this thing lately where they don't put another package, like a box outside. They just send you the box of the thing. So oh, yeah, like yeah. I picked up a package at my front desk and it just was like had Charmin written all over it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt called out. Yeah, yeah. It is it is kind of weird we were just having this jumbo box of toilet paper. Um, but Yeah, but you know, save the save the trees, it's fine. But Yeah. You know, well, it doesn't have to say Charmin on the outside is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of taking a shit, uh, we this is like our fifth time trying to record this episode. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> because we have been having technical difficulties. Um, we run a lot of software to record these podcasts, and for some reason, both of our sets of software um, have been acting up, and we are just biding our time uh, until this fails yeah, again. The, the weather, the weather has gotten too bad, and now we're recording entirely in manual mode, so it, it's a very <laughs> tense situation. Uh, but yeah, so so we're we're going to be doing this. So we're going to attempt to pick up the the banter that and this banter about Amazon and toilet paper was completely organic. Brand but we're going to yeah. I'm still going to ask you the same question that I've planned on asking you five separate times. And that I'm going is... to sound way more intelligent in how quickly I'm going to answer it now, too. <laughs> uh, good. Well, let's see if everybody listening notices. Stephen Miller, this film, 7500, is a film that uh, is in the genre of films that are single location films. And that is to say that this film takes place entirely in the cockpit of a plane, and uh, we never leave that cockpit. Uh, so, Stephen Miller, do you enjoy films in this genre? I do. I, I like this particular single location and a kind of pressure cooker scenario happening outside. Uh, like Rear Window is kind of the classic Hitchcock example uh, where Jimmy Stewart is watching everything from the vantage point of his window. He can't really do much about it, but he's just kind of witnessing in horror the things unfolding. Panic Room is another fun one. Um, kind of similar to right hiding from this terrible thing. Yeah. Uh, phone booth. I, like I was a big fan of that also that, yeah, yeah, that isn't quite single location but it you know it almost is like at, at least one of the characters this movie does yeah at least one of the characters is completely stuck in that location it's it's yeah good what's enough. unique about this movie is it doesn't show us the other perspective at all like it just keeps us inside that spot yeah yeah like the film opens as does the trailer with him entering the plane with the view from the cockpit and it's like the camera never ever exits that, that cockpit at all <laughs> yeah 
But yeah, I'm, I'm mostly a fan. I like like minimalistic movies. And, and when you get into the non-action versions, like My Dinner with Andre or 12 Angry Men, like I like it. I, I think the, the constraint is good for building a vibe with only acting, which is nice. It's like a good showcase for a leading, leading man. Yeah, like it really gives you a chance to sit with how well, like how good those performances are. Um, I like I, I was a huge fan of Phone Booth. I love Buried. Um, yeah, there, there's there are plenty of films that try to do this. There's also some bad films that do this, like the the one Frozen, I think it was called, with the guys stuck on the ski lift. Um, there, you know, ATM machine or ATM, whatever the movie is. There's like a there's like a suspense horror film type film that these people are stuck in an ATM. Um, so th- there's ways to do it that's not super fun, but there are also ways that uh, that feel really, really exciting somehow when it's just watching a person <laughs> stuck in this little spot. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we are going to find out <laughs> if this film managed to be in the group of good ones or the, the potential group of bad ones. Um, so what do you say, Stephen? We take a listen to the trailer for this film and then come back and give these fine folks listening, if our audio doesn't cut out, a review of 7500. Yavol. <laughs> you guys seem to know each other. We have a boy at home. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you ready for boarding, guys? Oh, we were born ready. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're Captain. I'd like to wish you a nice day and thank you for your trust in us. Guys. Ah! Ah! Several men attacked our cockpit. We stopped them from now. The captain is injured. Status of the crew, I don't know. They have a hostage. They're gonna kill him if I don't open the door. Don't stop, please. I can't open the door. Let her go. Please. Please, I beg. Please. I'm sorry, but you know that under no circumstances you are allowed to let them to the cockpit. They don't have guns. They don't have knives. If you work together, you can beat them. Okay, you're going to be all right. All right, so that was the trailer for 7500, which is not the film Flight 7500. Um, I almost made that mistake (laughs) as well. Um, But yeah, so this is basically 7500 is apparently the code designation for my plane is being hijacked currently. Um, So that's where the title comes from. And is basically the story of a young pilot uh, or co-pilot, I guess. And he is on board a plane and terrorists try to storm the cockpit. And it's basically him trying to maintain control of this cockpit and find a safe place to land the plane while these terrorists try to break their way in or convince him to open the door, (laughs) essentially. So Stephen Miller, what did you think of 7500? So I thought this was a quite solid, confined drama that did a good job of limiting itself to build tension. I think when we talked about Vast of Night, we talked about how part of what made it so effective is what it doesn't show you. The fact that it 
it trusts you to just watch the main actor's face reacting to things and know that that will kind of build enough tension on its own without doing the classic Hollywood stunts. Um, like it, it goes off the rails a little bit towards the end, but for the most part, I felt like it was a super believable kind of down to earth view of here's what it is like to be a pilot. Here's what being in the cockpit is like. These are the rules and regulations that you have to follow. And the way that it veers so suddenly into chaos, I thought was extremely effective. Um, I felt like it was a little unpleasant to have an Islamic extremist hijacking story, right? I was getting like vague Islamophobic pangs. Like, why do they have to be doing it this way? Come on, they have to be shouting Allahu Akbar. But then I kept telling myself, look, this is based on a true story. He's doing what he can within the confines of a true story. Like, <laughs> he tries to give a redemption arc uh, for some of the characters, tries to flesh them out a little bit. What, what can you do? You know, you got to tell truth to uh, Tobias's actual experience. And then the credits came up and there was no title card about the true story <laughs> oh, so about the real Tobias. <laughs> so you were assuming it was and a true realized, story. Well, yeah, because when I was searching 7500, I also saw a movie called Flight 7500. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, okay. This is clearly like territory. People have been, I don't know why Jesse Eisenberg was in that one, but you know, whatever. <laughs> he, he probably pulls it off. And th this is just a complete fiction. And that like that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because the the like the hijacking premise is just so like early two thousands, not that original a way to go about it. And I like it, it disappointed me a little bit, like at the end of the movie, like because there were certain things I was willing to really look past because it's a true story, you know, things in the third act that feel a little bit unbelievable that I'm like, look, okay, this is amazing if true, you know, and when when I lost that, I just kind of I lost a little bit of respect for some of the decisions like it made me feel extra icky about the the way this movie goes down, but if I can separate myself from that for a second, I still think this is like a pretty solid thriller. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a very good job with what he's tasked to do, which is almost everything. Um, <laughs> there's a kind of horrifying period in the movie where mayhem is happening behind him and there is a screen through which he can watch what is going on, but he can't do very much because he know. Every logical person knows his dilemma is not even a dilemma. Like either someone might get hurt or everyone will die. Like he has no other option. So yeah, like, yeah, no. this isn't like a trolley problem, really. It's just a, an emotionally gripping feeling of being completely powerless, right? Of, of knowing that you are somewhat responsible for anything that happens, but you have no ability to make it better. Um, and I thought that was really effective. Like, I think there, there's a good 30, 40 minute chunk of this movie that I thought was just incredibly well done. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt really, really, really sells it. Um, it does start to go off the rails toward the end. We will maybe talk about that in a spoiler section or something. I don't, I don't know how we want to play this. Um, but there are things that I found clever, but increasingly less believable. And <laughs> in the end, it... For a movie that started out being so rigorous, like heads down, this is how it works. Show the cockpit. Don't glamorize. Don't make it more than it has to be. Um, I, I felt like it tipped its hand a little bit. But one thing I did want to mention is a, a phrase when they were 
talking in German towards the beginning came, like, caught my ear, which was, all is feared gut, everything is going to be fine. And I was like, huh, that's funny, because this reminds me of a short that I watched a few years ago called All is Feared Gut, about a divorced father who abducts a child, and tensions start to rail, and it becomes a hostage situation. And this is by the same director. This is oh. that uh, <laughs> Patrick Fulrath. And you remember, you and I both watched that movie. That was the year that uh, Stutterer won uh, for the Academy Award nominated short. Um, huh. So if you, if you remember that like German pressure cooker short uh, where there's a, a father abducting a child and it ends in a hotel room, th this is kind of the same trick that it's pulling of a confined space Someone who is feeling very, very heightened emotions, someone else who is trying to talk them down, trying to maintain reason. And yeah, like I can see where this movie came from. And I do think this pulls the trick of a short to feature length. I just I don't know that that trick is quite feature length material. I feel like they they start grasping for straws around the end of when a short film would have ended um, and probably... <laughs> Yeah, it, it it isn't quite enough to justify, but it was still solid. Still solid. I don't know. I, I feel conflicted, Chris. That's that's all I can say. Yeah, um, I I am a little less conflicted than you, but in the negative sense. Um, this like like so. Okay, so first of all, what I really really do actually genuinely like about this film is I feel like there. I'm not a pilot. <laughs> you you have a pilot friend who can maybe tell you if he's seen this film like how realistic the, the the flying is but they sold it's you know it's funny you, you already brought up the vast tonight but you know in the vast tonight they sell the use of the switchboard <laughs> yeah and you're, you're like you're like oh damn that switchboard's kind of cool how that works that's how i felt about the inside of the plane like just simply oh, yeah. the like you know i'm used to hearing radio traffic control stuff and they're like oh turn 264 to whatever but like the idea that you're just like turning little knobs, you're like dialing in your stereo and then correcting the plane to match, I guess, to match that. Like, I, I have no idea yeah. what's going on. But when I watched that, I was like, this is cool. I like this performance of flying a plane like that. That was really, really interesting to me. Um, so seeing that sort of experience um, kind of of got me excited and 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 ready for what was going to take place in this film. I think, honestly, the real problem with what this film's doing is there's it's really cut and dry <laughs> like like once you're in the air if the cockpit's not open just turn off the mo like it first of all it first of all shows the flaw in this airplane's design if you want to make an impenetrable co cockpit also make it soundproof <laughs> And then if he turns off the monitor, he can't hear what's happening behind him and have a big ass sign that says, by the way, this cockpit's soundproof. They can't hear you. And then what are you going to do? Like they're in the air. It, this isn't like a halfway over the Atlantic. The terrorists try to take over the plane. This is as like this is almost while they're still ascending into the air. Like they maybe haven't even right. reached cruising altitude yet. And they immediately storm. Yeah, he the turns off the seatbelt light. Okay. So, so I, they, I think they, they literally just it's the first thing that happens as soon as they reach cruising yeah, altitude. I don't think it's real time. I think there's a cut in there that is it's unclear how long it's supposed to have been after like between the cuts. Well the way they present it at least is is just like as soon as they're in the air, these guys try to take it over. 
And then before they even have a plan to try to start convincing him to try to open the door, he's already knows where he's going to land. And they're like 15 minutes out from that location. So it's, 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 it's a very, it's a very strange sort of setup to where like, like you're, you're just watching it and you're like, you just, you just don't open the door and assume that lots of people are going to die, but like they're going to die anyways. If you do, it's, it's like, like you said, it's not a trolley problem. It's just do what you're supposed to do and stop paying attention to them. And it's, it's, it, it, they, they try to heighten the situation (laughs) with a very like, like a a, specific. Yeah. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's the opposite of plot armor. (laughs) It's like plot Achilles heel. (laughs) And and it's, and it's like, okay, fine. But where is the actual conflict going to come from? And the conflict comes from not dealing with the situation in the first place, like fully. Right. And I think that this film turned me into the person that screams at the film, at the movie during a horror film. (laughs) Right. Where like, as soon as that happened, like people are coming, like it starts with people trying to storm the cockpit and Joseph Gordon-Levitt minor spoilers, takes a, a fire extinguisher and like hits a guy over the head. Just keep hitting that guy over the head until he's not going to get back up again. Um, I mean, he's I mean, not a killer. He's not a murderer. <laughs> but, but I mean, he's trying to prevent, like it's, I, okay, all, all my cards on the table, as I told you before we started recording, at the point of You've time... You've never that, murdered anyone. <laughs> no, no. But at the point of time, I watched, sat down to watch this film I was, <laughs> I was 23 hours into the 25 hour playthrough of The Last of Us Part Two, where I had just to murdered shoot the zombie, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't just killing zombies. I was killing people from various factions. Like I, I had murdered a lot of people on both sides. And it was, <laughs> I, it was, I was, I, I was, I had just been through like 23 hours of gut wrenching stuff. And when I watched this movie, I was like, yeah, just don't open the door land the plane <laughs> like what's the problem wow, i feel like you you were grading on such a moral curve <laughs> what is that 85 85 people yeah <laughs> i mean i'll just crash the plane right now <laughs> uh, I, I, but if it in all seriousness like it it the it's it's not that I, I, don't, I don't feel for the lives of people who may be threatened by the hijackers in the plane. It's just you've secured the cockpit. The only thing standing in your way is an unconscious person. You have a knife. Don't let them be conscious. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, 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 seemed, it, seemed, it just seemed very straightforward how to prevent anything else from happening. And, and yeah. it, part of me just in the back of my head just was constantly yelling like just take them out <laughs> take them out yeah. don't just don't talk to them don't do whatever um and and yeah i it it was hard to watch this film and be completely sucked into the tension um without wondering why people didn't act more yeah, that's interesting. And it makes me think we should do a spoiler section, even though I don't think the review will be very long. <laughs> Just because <laughs> it, w- it would be interesting to dive into that because that did not really bother me. I feel like what this movie is doing is exploring how would a very rational, rule-focused, but still somewhat green pilot handle hey, he's been flying a for situation 10 years. like this. 
That's true, yeah. He just looks young, but he's also, really 32 also, or 33 or whatever. He says he's 31, and he says he's been flying for 10 years. Do they let pilot Like, can you fly commercial airlines at 21? Well, it, it depends what they mean by flying. You, he definitely couldn't be the main pilot on a commercial airline, but he certainly could have flown a plane by then. I, I just... it Like, I'm not planning on getting on a plane anytime for the foreseeable future, but... If I was about to get on a plane and then the pilot walked by and like he couldn't even grow a beard, I would be be very... Because your toxic masculinity has no bearing on who's allowed to pilot an aircraft. I mean, if she can't grow a beard, that's okay as well. (laughs) No, but you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like if I saw like what, what essentially is a teenager, like about to fly my plane, I would be a little worried. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I feel you. I, I do think the film brings up a bunch of interesting things. So basically, it's like, what would a person do in this scenario? And I believe yeah. a person would maybe behave irrationally, right? I do, I do think there would be a world where the obvious thing to you as an external viewer is, I know where this movie is going to go, take him out, you know? But in the moment, maybe you're just like, minimizing harm like you don't you don't really know what to do like i've personally never beaten anyone to death i don't i don't know about you you've done a lot this weekend (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hadn't until this weekend but but no but like i guess i guess the way that i see it is before he strikes this guy in the head with a, a fire extinguisher this guy has just repeatedly stabbed the pilot of the plane right right so i mean you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I feel that like, like giving one good hit and being like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably fine, right? I mean, just no more harm will come from the rest of this movie if I just yeah. Well, so there's an interesting parallel structure that we could get into between him and another character and what decisions they make with a somewhat unconscious person. Um, I, I don't know why I'm even being coy. We either spoil it or we don't. But, but anyway, the movie is definitely trying to do something with that. And I mostly bought that. And I really bought, if we ignore the company that he is with in the middle of the movie, his experience when he finally turns off the screen and just kind of has this howl of anger, anguish and is like, I can't look. Like, the only choice is to not know anymore. Um, yeah. I thought that was well done. Like, I I completely bought that. I also think there is some stuff toward the end that becomes a little bit more of your typical hostage negotiation type of movie that even though the premise started to annoy me at that point, I still feel like the dynamic between the characters was pretty believable. Like, we'll we'll get into it. I I was always caught by, like, liking the acting in this movie, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, obviously. But then I think the... There's one hijacker named Vedat, uh, Omid Mamar plays him, who I also found very believable. He is kind of the the counterpart to Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, in this movie. He is the younger person that is maybe a bit out of his depth and is trying to trying to handle a situation that he was not expecting to have to control. Um, I, I thought that those two-handers work pretty well in this movie. But yeah, there's just a... There's the the weirdness, the, the the Islamophobic thing of just like this movie felt like it could have been made in like 2003. Like it just felt like very, very, very 
old school in the way it's trying to handle this, the the conviction, the the depths to which certain characters will go to get their way. It it isn't that I well, don't so, believe it. It's just like why tell this story right now? Like the, of all the stories in the world you can tell, why is this the one? I, I think the thing that that almost makes it more egregious is like like from the standpoint of being an Islamophobic uh, a film is that these these terrorists on board this plane have no goal other than to crash the plane. They don't have a target. Mm. They don't have a group of people they're trying to uh, show this to. We already know the plane has been redirected. So if they're going to take if they're going to take it back after it's been redirected, then they can't even be headed towards the direction the plane was originally going because it's been redirected. So if anybody were to like regain control of the plane, what are they doing? They don't have a like they they have they might know how to like aim a plane. But when, when you're up that high, yeah. you just look out and you see lights unless there's a very specific like when you're flying into San Francisco, you can recognize that shape right <laughs> of the bay and right. you can see the bridge and like there's stuff that stands out. But when you're that high and it's night and you're not flying in the same direction you thought you were, you, you, where where was where would you want to even aim the, your plane? Like it, it just it. It seems like a half-baked thought where it's like, you know, terrorists, they like to crash planes. So, I mean, that's what they're doing. Don't you get it? Yeah, I mean, I think they wanted to go to a major city like Berlin, but then they wind up in Hanover country. Get it? Like flyover country. (laughs) But it's it's Hanover. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was good. (laughs) But yeah, there is definitely... Their plan is unclear... And there's definitely some emotionally manipulative choices in this movie that, again, I was willing to forgive a lot of it under the belief that this is an incredible true story. It's like, okay. Just like when this is a weird counterpart, but when we reviewed Just Mercy, I was a little bit wary of the potential for there to be the like the one great man narrative of like he single handedly cured the justice system. But then because it was based on a true story, I was able to let that go because it's like, hey, this is his truth. And therefore, I'm just watching his story the way that he saw it. And so, you know, it it is what it is. I can't fault the movie for that. But this time, knowing it was all invented whole cloth, it it just makes the manipulative parts feel a lot less powerful and more cheap um, in a way that... Usually, I don't care that much about the truth or non-truth of a movie, but for some reason, this time, it really, it made a difference for me knowing that what I had watched was just, like, totally invented by the director. Yeah. Cool. Well, do you want to get to some spoilers for this film, Stephen? Sure. All right. So, before we do that, we are going to give everybody a verdict for this film. Uh, so, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give us a must-see, reckon with a caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat, or must avoid, what would you give it? Uh, so before the non-existent credits came up telling me about the real Tobias, I was prepared to give this a recommend with a caveat of like, it isn't a perfectly done film, but I did think the single location was very effective. The acting I think was quite good. And the plot, while implausible, couldn't be implausible because it was true. Um, post credits, I am bumping this down to a uh, wait for rental. I, I think it's completely fine. Like, I do think tonally 
it is still interesting. I found it relatively gripping. It, it's quick. Like, it, it is 90 minutes, including the credits, so it isn't like it outstays its welcome for too long. It just doesn't... It, it has so much talent involved, and clearly the director knows how to build tension. I wish it could have done anything beyond just building tension, like had a plot that is interesting to follow or inverted the formula in a kind of meaningful way. So it, it, it's fine. It, it is exactly what it tells you it's going to be, but I just don't think it really aims any higher than that. Yeah, um, I'm going to give it a wave rental as well. It, it, I... There was enough there at the beginning of the setup, and I think that potentially if I hadn't like ripped my heart out murdering tons of people <laughs> for the <laughs> 24 hours before I watched this film, it might have like felt more weight to it uh, than it actually did. <laughs> I got to tell you, I thought you loved this movie. When, when this movie ended, I was like, okay, Christopher is going to rave about this. <laughs> well, I, I, I made us watch this movie because it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. and it was a single location film. And I was like, these are like, that's like two of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. This is like the opposite of Barry. <laughs> yeah. It was like seven, 500 days of summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the podcast is over folks. Mm hmm. Um, yep. Hey, we made it to six twelve. It was a good run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyways, I, I it, it didn't work for me totally, but it was still it still had enough going, and I was still happy with the performances and everything. So it's if you throw this on for free on Amazon Prime, you will have watched it, and you won't hate yourself for doing it. I just it didn't really grab me the way I expected it to. Okay, um, so for those folks who don't want to stick around for spoilers, we are going to run the show past uh, the ending that we usually do, and then music will fade up when the music fades out. We'll be in spoilers. So, But for now, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? If people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning, Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning, or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thesportofwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to 7500, so hopefully you are enjoying that. And uh, yeah, as I said before, this music's going to fade up, and then when it fades down, you'll have to have your seat backs and tray tables in their full up and locked position, and because uh, we'll be making our descent into spoiler territory. Nailed it. <laughs> yep. Alright, we are back. This is spoiler territory. It is the full-blown spoiler section of our review of 7500. We are going to be talking about all kinds of spoilers, and uh, I guess it makes sense that we start um, with the stuff that I referenced in the episode directly before we get to like the more ending stuff that you were going to talk about. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, as I said before, I feel like if you are watching somebody get stabbed a lot and you grab your own implement to take them out, you 
don't just like knock them out and then assume they're never going to regain consciousness. Like he sort of kind of puts, tries to put them in a seatbelt. And I know that he's injured himself, so he doesn't have full use of his extra arm. But it just seemed like... Well, I think he tied his hands behind his back first also, which is a very direct parallel to what Vedat does to him later when he's being urged to kill him, yeah. which is why I thought it was maybe kind of intentional. I still think it's just a bad, bad mistake. Or at the very least, like, I mean, he does re-kick him in the head <laughs> at one point mm-hmm. just to make sure he's still unconscious. But I feel like you have to really... Like, I, I, he, he obviously can't open the door and shove him out because those people are trying to get in. But I feel like you you are prepared for him to wake up, especially if you're seated in a position where your back is facing him. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me um, that you would put yourself in a position to be ambushed like that from somebody who you clearly was right behind you and not like... I don't know. It, it, seemed, it seemed like there was an easier way to deal with him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. And of course, the moment that happens, you know where this film is going to go in the end. Like, unless it is just an immense cock tease. Like, you know he's going to wake up at some point and he is the... He, he's the creature that you let inside the house, right? Like, uh, it, it's underwater where they bring in the the little baby thing that they think is dead and you're just <laughs> waiting for it to wake up and start <laughs> yeah. beating on everyone. Which that movie never gave you that moment, but I it knew that you wanted it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I definitely felt that. I felt the frustration of that. One, one thing I will, I will say not, not positive in the standpoint of like what it's doing, but positive from the standpoint of, I do enjoy like when you're watching a film where, there are security precautions. Like if, if all the people on board this plane had knives, you'd be like, where did the knives come from? How did they get them through security? All this stuff. I have ne- like I have flown with duty-free whiskey bottles in my backpack, right? Yeah. And like this film shows that, yeah, yeah, you can just go to the bathroom and just smash those. And now you have like better than knives, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. And I, I thought it was a true story and I would learn about a precaution that has happened since then to make it not be possible. But no, it it seems possible. (laughs) It seems pretty easy. You learned about a precaution. These were literally the weapon equivalents of Teflon pans. We're like, well, by nowadays, Teflon's gone, right? No, it's not gone. We all are still in danger of being poisoned to death. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I I, I want to talk about two kind of back-to-back moments, one of which... I found manipulative and one of which I found pretty moving. The manipulative one is the the second... So they've already killed one character. They're trying to force him to open the door, which, again, I believe that people in this moment would try to do that because what is their other option? Like, of yeah. course, they're going to just do whatever they can, even though the bargain makes no sense. You know, it's let one person die or let everyone die. Um, yeah, yeah. But still, the second person they grab is the flight attendant who is also his girlfriend potentially fiance the mother of his child uh gukcha i think is her name and she is you know first of all what are the odds the the person he is in love with is like being has a knife held up to her throat being <laughs> about to be murdered and him just having to watch she's also a muslim so they managed to bring in a little bit more of the look we're not saying that everyone is like this there's the good kind and the bad kind which is almost like 
more insulting how it, like, isn't that exactly it was, what happens the way they pull it in hotel mumbai yeah yeah it's exactly like the hotel mumbai scene yeah right? um which that also when i learned that those characters were all invented that really frustrated me with hotel mumbai too because it felt like you can only do that if you are a hundred percent telling a true story yeah, yeah. um but anyway, so that I found very emotionally manipulative, even though I fully believe the way Jessica and Levitt reacts in that situation. Like, he's never really tempted to open the door, but he it hurts so badly that he can't. Um, the scene afterwards, which I liked a lot, is what he tries to do instead, which is go on the loudspeaker and yeah, urge yeah. the passengers, there's only two people, they only have glass. You can overpower them if you do this. If you charge them, please, they're going to kill this woman. Do it. Yeah. And the fact that they don't when he says that. Um, but they do sort of. Like, we see that there is a... Because he... the Those guys rush through the curtain into the background. And there are a couple times where they come through where people are, like, piling on each other. And, like, there is clearly some sort of skirmish that is happening in the back of the plane. Mm. It's just... Like, and also, like, if you were just, if you were just on a plane and, I mean, he had already been on the speaker and said, like, hey, people just try to rush the cockpit, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like at some point, like, if people just yell that, if you're not already primed to attack, it, it takes you a second to recalibrate your senses and go like, wait, uh, oh, oh, they, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe that. It is funny, though, because you're kind of making the same argument I make for him not killing <laughs> uh, the character of Daniel when he goes in because it takes a while to calibrate. Like you aren't just like reasoning through all the possible outcomes. Um, it just, that was, I felt his frustration in that moment, which is why I, I really liked that scene. The fact that it doesn't happen the way that he wants it, because it is like, this is two people and they have glass. Like what do you, they can't do that much. Like there yeah. are 85 people on this plane. You could easily take them out if everyone would just work together and do it um yeah so i i like that it, it added another layer of the kind of impotence that he's feeling of like please someone do something yeah um yeah so so I, I was okay with that where i think it really starts to go off the rails even though i like the two-hander aspect of it is the character of Vidat, the kind of the younger guy who you can tell is having a crisis of conscience throughout most of what's going on. And like, I believe it, you know, he would sign up for this, but crashing a plane in the abstract is very different from witnessing a person die right in front of you. And so when he's really made to, to see what it is that he's agreed to do, he has a, a change of heart. I buy that. The, the fact that they get in the cockpit, knock him out, and are getting ready to crash, and then he has a change of heart and just stabs the guy, and him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt have to land the plane together, that is just where it went so off the rails to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, that is one of those things where if it was a true story, it is an amazing true story. And it is maybe a clever tactic on Joseph Gordon-Levin's part to like make him be a part of the landing to trick him into being on his side rather than being an enemy. But as a piece of fiction, it, it just feels really lazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in, in principle, I, I sort of expect based on his reaction previously, I expected that's where it was going to me. Yeah. The thing that was hard for me to believe is like, 
I, I get you hatching a plan or, or joining a group who is going to do a thing. And then maybe you didn't understand how many like quote innocent people were going to die during this thing. And over the course of seeing the suffering, you have a change of heart. But I feel like what he signed up for was to die on board that plane. And mm -hmm. maybe it's just dawning on him that what that actually means. But I feel like his change of heart is self-preserving, not, not uh, sorry for innocence. And, and for me, I feel like he's already bought on board with non-self-preservingness. Like, I, I don't know. I, I've, like I said, mm -hmm. I may have murdered like hundreds of people in 24 hours, but I, <laughs> I have, have not done anything like trying to crash yeah, a plane. I mean, I, I buy the difference. What I don't know is the version of him before, the version that is hinting at this yeah. redemption arc of sorts, the version who doesn't want to kill the woman, but does want to kill all of them, um, where he's like begging him to open the door. That, yeah. like, I believe you would be feeling irrational in that moment, but I, he lives in that discomfort for so long. Yeah, yeah. I, I had trouble with that. Once he decides... I want to abort this mission. You know, I want us to be able to land safely. Then I believe it. And maybe it is true that I interpreted him when he ties Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hands rather than stabbing him as his companion wants him to do. I interpreted that as an act of not being willing to kill, but maybe it was a self-preservation act of if I want to be able to land, I'm going to need the pilot to be alive. Maybe, I, maybe that was a actual decision on his part and not just an act of trying to preserve an innocent life. I, I, I mean, I, I feel that like when he's on the phone with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he's like saying, open the door or we're going to kill her. I feel like there is eventually a turn where he's like, please mm -hmm. open the door. They're going to kill her. And it stops being like, yeah. I'm threatening you to now you relieve me of what I'm going to be witness to in a second. So that sort of right. transition, I definitely believe. So I, I feel like with that progression, that's why he doesn't want to kill Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character because he physically, like, being on board a plane, which he helped capture, which is going to crash, which will hopefully kill everybody instantly, is not the same as slitting somebody's throat. Um, right. Believe me, I did it for 24 hours. So. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, someone's going to be very, very mad that I keep joking about that. It's just a video game, people. And I dealt with the ramifications of my actions repeatedly over the course of playing that video game. So yep. just, I literally finished it it's last changed. night. I, I, I finished it less than... 24 hours ago. I finished it at 1230 AM this morning. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's still, still dealing with it. Um, and I only took a break to watch this movie. So you deal with it too. I'm, I'm impressed. Well, in between watching this movie, I was binge watching the HBO show insecure. And so I think compared to that, this was pretty heavy. Like almost <laughs> no one gets murdered on insecure. <laughs> So the only other spoilery thing I want I wanted to bring up on on my end is the very end where he is waiting to refuel and it's kind of dawning on Vidat that they aren't going to leave and he it, gets it, kind of increasingly it's, more unhinged. It's sort of dawning it on him that he's about to be Captain Phillips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and 
Like Captain Phillips, I, I do think there is a lot of good, intense emotion there in the way that Jeff Gordon-Levitt has to try to stay his friend and talk him down. But it was just so obvious to me from the moment the window got involved that he's going to get shot. And at that point, I just kind of felt like I was waiting for the inevitable to happen. Yeah. It, it was, again, they they signaled the plot mechanics a little bit too far ahead. Also, do do cockpit windows just open like that? I, I guess so. And what is the purpose is that like I feel I feel like that's just asking for trouble. That that I mean maybe it's from when you're parked. Like maybe that's exactly why it's to get fresh air. Maybe in case like the door won't open, you have an emergency. Yeah. That is the other thing I thought was possible. <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt was just gonna be like like try to jump out. <laughs> I was gonna say like like commercial airlines also have an ejector seat. They're they're all holding like a big parachute underneath. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you have any other spoiler thoughts? Uh, I was just going to say, um, since we already referenced Hotel Mumbai, didn't the one character who's sort of having a change of heart also get called by a parent towards the end? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're right. I feel like this film yeah. is like a lot of mirroring of of the sort of behaviors of of the character, same same equivalent character in that film. No, you are... I had not thought of Hotel Mumbai until you mentioned it earlier in this episode, but I feel like this has a lot of the same... Yeah, a lot of the same behaviors and a lot of the same pitfalls, and I feel gross about it for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. See, I thought Hotel Mumbai, I felt gross because it was based on a true story that made it feel more like just something icky about the fact that they were like heightening it. But I think it being a complete fiction still feels very gross because it's still tr like waiting in real life territory that we are aware of. And there's just something like, I don't know. I, it, like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I think that was my main feeling when this got too intense was like, I don't want to see this guy getting ready to crash the plane and killing everyone. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> that doesn't yeah, yeah. put me in a good mood. <laughs> there's just something that feels manipulative about it in a, in a way that I don't like. Yeah. Um, last thing let's talk about real fast is, uh, the not Chekhov's knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the beginning of this film, uh, takes the, the glass duct tape knife that had been made, um, and puts it in his little like side satch satchel, um, in the cockpit. And at some point in time, he begins to grab that and attempt to, uh, potentially use it to try to stop this other terrorist if he doesn't come over to his side stab the other guy and uh, help him take control of the plane um i i'm fine with him deciding not to use it or like holding out hope that he doesn't have to use it it felt a little weird the scene where he's like what is that right there what is that that wasn't there before and i was like are you talking about the knife or are you talking about like i didn't understand what he was looking at because that's definitely where the knife was and i assume if there was a no, knife but he brought the knife because the knife had been in the side thing no no no. What, what he snuck it yeah yeah no no i i know where he got it from but the terrorist character the young guy yell he points and says what is that that wasn't there before i assume if he had a knife if joseph gordon had a knife in his hand he wouldn't accept it's nothing it's nothing as as the response to that right he he would have like mm -hmm either attacked him or 
done something to try to get the knife from him. So it's like, what was he yelling at that wasn't the knife? No, it was the knife. It, it was it, he had the knife underneath his legs, like yeah. un, like on the floor, hidden hidden by his legs, hoping that Vedat wouldn't see. And when he saw, he tried to play it off like it was always there. It was always laying right there, but it hadn't been. Like he but, had just grabbed it from something else, but because uh, Vedat uh, would have seen it when he was readying it for Josko and Levitt to sit on the other pilot. But I also don't remember Vedat like taking it at that point in time. It was kind of just like Joseph no, going, like, this I'm knife, not going to use he the He didn't knife. know he had it. This was the knife that uh, Daniel had in the very beginning when he charged in. This is the knife that he used to stab yeah, the yeah. captain. I, I, I know what the knife is, but I'm saying once Vadat has noticed the knife, why does Vadat not take the knife at that point in time rather than just yelling, what is that? Right, yeah. I, I don't remember what he does with the knife after that. But I think he's just being very irrational at that point. He's freaking out. He doesn't yeah. want anything to happen. Yeah. Agreed. Cool movie. <laughs> but yeah, so uh I guess that's it then. <laughs> yep. Choose. <laughs>